All right, how you guys doing? Good. Are you guys happy to be here this morning? Come on. Um, I love Resurrection Sunday. I also love that every Sunday we get to step in and celebrate this. It's not just a one-time event, amen? It's not just one, one Sunday, okay? I know sometimes we put a lot of weight on it's Easter Sunday and it's Resurrection Sunday, and, and I love that. But I'm also like, we should put weight on this every day. Every day we should be celebrating. We should be stepping into the life that we have through Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to work on that later. (laughs) It's Easter. I know. I know. We're all kind of waking up. It's good. Um, Worship was amazing. I want to thank the worship team real quick. Thank you guys. So good. So good. Well, hey, we got a lot of people in the room that may not know me. My name is Andrew Fish. My wife, Emily, and I, and my beautiful daughter, Adeline, and my son, two weeks old, they are at home resting, recovering, but um, my wife, Emily, and I are the senior pastors here at Convergence. We're really honored, honored that you're here. Um, We're really thankful for each and every one of you, even if you If this is your first time in this room, we're grateful you're here. If you guys could get that PowerPoint up, Jason, it would be fantastic. I do want to quickly mention um, Discover Convergence. So this is our our opportunity for you to hear more about the vision, values, uh, to meet the staff, and to get free lunch, which is great, right? Come on, free food. Um, And so I want to invite you, if you're in the room, if you're a guest, this is your first time, and you're like, hey, I want to know more about what this church is all about, who we are. I want to invite you after service next Sunday at 1230, just directly across the way here in what we call the Fellowship Hall. We're going to be gathering and eating and just sharing a time together so that you can know more about who we are as a church family. And so I want to invite you to that. If that's you and you're like, hey, I'm interested, you can actually just scan that code right there. It's that easy, right? It's one of the things that came out of 2020 that I actually thought was really cool was everybody's using QR codes now. Um, And so you can scan that and you can just fill out the information there. Um, I'll just give a moment for that if you want to do that. And then I'm going to invite you into what we're going to do this morning. So our vision here at Convergence is that we exist to encounter Jesus and transform cities with his power and love. We've had so many testimonies, even in staff meeting, we had a worship in the city event um, just about uh, a week or so ago, and we had so many people healed. Guys, Jesus is alive, which means he wants to heal now, today. Come on. There's no reason why we have to stay bound. He's alive. He is risen. And so the name convergence, if you're like, what? What is the deal with this convergence? The convergence signifies worshipers of Jesus coming together. It's the coming together, the convergence as one, and it declares the merging of the spirit and the word, the king with his bride, heaven and earth. We are, if if this is your first time in the room, we are not just a word church. 
We are not just a spirit church. We are a spirit and the word church. You cannot have one without the other. They are connected. They are together. The word undergirds the spirit, and the spirit brings out the living and active word. Amen. All right, so convergence is a people that pursue the presence of Jesus, people that rise above the noise of culture. We're not called just to, just to kind of sit back and let culture do its own thing. We're called to influence culture. A people that stand for his righteousness, a people that walk in the fullness of the gospel, a people empowered to be ministers through the Holy Spirit. I am not the only minister in the room. Okay, this is not a one-man show. You're a minister. You're a priest. A people empowered to be ministers, a people that walk in the gifts of the Spirit, a people that prophesy, a people that know they are sent, a people that love those around them, a people that are willing to stand for the truth of God's word, a people that run together in the context of spiritual family, a people that disciple the generations, young and old, into greater intimacy and purpose, a people that call the bride to join together in unity, a people that know they belong, a people that hate evil but cling to what is good. That's Romans 12, a people that know their identity as sons and daughters. Okay, so I just want to invite you, if you're new in the room, this is who we are as a church family. We believe in empowering and raising sons and daughters. All right, so this morning, I am going to dive into Luke 24. So if you have your Bible, and you should have your Bible, even on Resurrection Easter Sunday, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 24. This morning, I am not going to be on, the only one talking. Um, I'm going to have testimonies. We're going to have testimonies throughout the message this morning. And we are going to bring us into what is happening here in Luke 24. Um, the title of my message this morning is Victory at the Table. Victory at the Table. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. <laughs> and Lord, I thank you for John 1, Lord, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, Lord, we thank you that as we've already said this morning, you are not a God that's far off. You are not a God. Jesus, you're, you're, you're not sitting in a tomb. The tomb is empty. The stone rolled away. And we thank you that there's an invitation this morning to step into a greater level and reality of your love, that you care about us, and that we, we're not going to just be religious this morning. We're going to step into deeper relationship. And we're going to see ourselves. We died with you, but guess what? We're also raised with you. And we thank you for that, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. My daughter would say, so be it. Because that's what amen means, so be it. All right, I want to invite Alyssa. Where's Alyssa? Right here. I have the mic. You can go ahead and come up here. Yeah. She's going to share a testimony to kick us off this morning. Yay. Okay, so, yeah, this is my testimony. Oh, it has been like a 20-year journey with the Lord from the start to now. 
And there are like three distinct moments that I want to share that the Lord delivered me. So um, when I was a girl, I was very tomboyish. Um, I sneered at girly girls and thought femininity was weakness. <laughs> yeah, I thought it would be better if I were a boy. So from the time I was about seven, I was in a homosexual relationship. And that went on for years. I knew it was wrong, but I craved the acceptance that I felt. Oh, and so finally, at 15, I cried out to Jesus. And he gave me the courage to talk with my friend and tell her I wanted to stop. And so we prayed together right there. And the Lord delivered us. And we never looked back. And he is redeeming that relationship today. It is beautiful. So that was one. The second one. So he delivered me out of homosexuality, but there were things that still clung to me for so many years. Um, one was the transgender mindset that I would be better as a boy, right? And the other was self-gratification. So when I was 19, I finally cried out to the Lord, and he set me free from both of those. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Jesus. Wow. So that's when I started growing my hair out <laughs> because he started restoring my femininity to me my innocence and my purity. He started washing my mind and my heart and my body from the memories, from the habits, from all of these things. He was setting me free. Wow. There is one more thing, the very sneaky thing that had been with me since I was very little. And I told myself that it was really innocent. I told myself there was nothing wrong with it. And in fact, most of my peers, most of the ladies around me would do the same thing. And so I justified it. And what it was, was it's from the time I was really little, anywhere I would go, I would look at the men in the room and think, could this man be my husband? Could this man be my husband? Could this man be my husband? That sounds pretty innocent, right? I wasn't fantasizing or doing anything, but the Lord brought me two years ago to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, and it says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of Christ, of God. And we are taking every thought captive according to the obedience of Christ. And he spoke to me and he said, Alyssa, you are lusting after these men. You are lusting after your friends by speculating who your husband might be. I was convicted, but I did not want to let go of it. I held on to that for two years But at the end of last year, <laughs> right here, I finally let go. And I said, yes, Lord, I want your heart, your mind. I trust you to be a good daddy and to give me a good gift. I don't have to find him for myself. He's going to give him. Come on. So, so good. Yeah. Can I say it? Yeah. I serve a victorious Jesus who conquered death. So I can have hope and life. So good. Oh man, that's so good. Woo! Do you feel the victory in the room? Come on, all right, Luke, Luke 24. Let's go verse one. But on the first day of the week. At early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. 
And they found what? The stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse 3, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, I love that. They were perplexed. Behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Verse 6, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, verse 7, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And I love verse 8, and they remembered his words. It was like it came back to them. And returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now, I love that he waits till verse 10 to say who they were, right? So here's they, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also the other woman... The other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. By the way, I love that it was women, by the way. It's just another, it's another message. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. So they're telling them, hey, he's risen. And they're like, nah. So what does Peter do? He's like, I got to see it for myself, right? He gets up and he runs to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He sees only what? Only the linen wrappings. And he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. One of my favorite passages about the resurrection is actually one that Wesley quoted a little bit from earlier. It's in John 20, where Mary runs from the tomb after seeing him. And having an encounter with him, she says, I have seen the Lord. And you can picture this moment. Like they're, they're going to the tomb to complete his burial process. It says they're bringing spices. Why would they bring spices? Because they wanted to complete the burial process. They were coming to find a dead man. And what they found was just his grave clothes. Oh, oh. Can you imagine? Put yourself in their shoes. I know it's easy sometimes for us to sit here and put ourselves in and be like, we have all, we have all this, right? Day two of this, all they knew was Jesus is in a tomb. And then on the third day, they come, and Mary comes running, and she's telling the disciples, she's telling the apostles, I have seen him. Do you know this morning that you can run from this building, and you can say, I have seen the Lord. Amen. And it's honestly one of your greatest testimonies. If you want to, like, how do you share the gospel? I have seen them. Let me show you. He is not dead, but he is alive. He is alive. I want to invite Dave Freeman. He's going to get up here and share another testimony. Come on.
brought my notes with me because I'm going to try to summarize 43 years in two minutes. So, um, even as a young boy, I remember uh, there was a lot of times where the Holy Spirit would touch my heart, either through worship um, or just personal touch, even as, as young as four years old. And God has a plan for my life, and I know that. But the enemy also had a plan to steal, kill, and destroy mm. at any moment, at any given time in my life. And I've always struggled, even from a young kid, struggled with God's acceptance of me, God's love for me. And it was debilitating. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe when people would even give me prophetic words how much God loved me. I, it's like there was, I don't know what it was exactly, but my identity was in something else other than his love. It was in something other than Christ. It was in self-sufficiency or something like that. And <clears throat> my problem was I was agreeing with the liar and the deceiver of who I was instead of agreeing with Jesus and who he says I am. And so this led to many things, many actions in my life that were apart from who I was truly in Christ. It led to alcoholism. Now there's alcoholism in my family, but this was what I see as a little bit worse. I suffered from alcoholism while I was in ministry during a church plant. And I was what you would call a closet drinker. Not many people knew, but some knew, and they were praying for me. My parents, my wife, and I think one of the other pastors were praying for me during that time. And it brought such shame. I hated what I was doing, but yet I found myself doing it all the time. And combined with that was struggling with the lust of the flesh, with pornography, and with masturbation. And I know it's a rampant thing in our culture because there's such easy access to it. But I struggled with it no matter how much I hated it, no matter how many tears I cried, I found myself doing those two things. And it had a grip on me. It controlled me. I was not free. That led to feelings of depression, suicidal thoughts. And you know what? The enemy almost took me out a couple times. I was standing right here at these doors one Sunday morning a few years ago. I walked in. Everyone's worshiping kind of like we did this morning. And I stood there and I just went, what is everybody so happy about? Like that's what I'm thinking in my mind. What is everyone so happy about? And I was convinced that I was going to go home and shoot myself in the head. Ashley was standing right there with me, and she, she could feel the dark presence that was over me. Tom Dermott got up from sitting over here, came up on the stage, and gave some prophetic word. And somehow that thing was broken right then and there. Come on. It was broken at least enough that I didn't go to home and do that thing. The next week, we met with Tom and Wendy, 
And God delivered me in that meeting from a spirit of death. Tom called it the spirit of Python. And it wasn't until I said, the blood of Jesus, that that thing was broken off me. Because the blood of Jesus speaks a higher word. Come on. Jesus put me on the path of redemption. And it's by his grace alone. I just want to read Galatians 2, 19 through 20. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My yeah. old self has been crucified with Christ. Come on. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is what we are celebrating today. Come on. Wow. So my path of redemption, he has delivered me from the grips of a death spirit, which I just talked about. He delivered me from myself, which is the carnal nature in opposition to the spirit man that God has called me to be. He spoke a new identity to me at the prophetic reformers uh, training that we had. And I became a new man that day. It was like I was reborn. I was born again again, if, if that makes sense. I stepped into who Jesus said I was. And I finally was able to actually believe the things he had told me all my life about who I am in him. Come on. My believer switched on. He gave me hope and peace, something I hadn't had most of my life. Hope and peace. He turned my tears from mourning and tears of shame into tears of victory and in tears of joy. Come on. I'm beginning to understand the agape love that God has to offer each and every one of us through Christ. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Come on. Oh, we could leave right now. Come on. Is that not good? So good. All right, well, we're just getting started. Um, I, we, we're going to continue here in Luke 24 in verse 13. But I want to go ahead and have my helpers. So Seth and Keegan, you guys can help me. We're going to illustrate this passage. Okay, it's, we're not just going to read it. We're actually going to illustrate it this morning. And so here's, here's, I want you guys, it says here in verse 13, and behold, two of them, two of them, were going that very day to a village, village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. You guys can actually like walk if you want. Yeah, that's, <laughs> walking in place was a little, I mean, you can do that if you want, but, and they were talking with each other 
about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself, verse 15, approached and began traveling with them. Jesus. Approach. <laughs> approach Jesus. If you can catch up to them. <laughs> Take a shortcut. There it is. All right. Verse 16, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing them. Yeah, you guys can head. Okay. That's good. We practice this, you know. Okay. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you were walking? And they stood still. There it is. Looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping, verse 21, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. What happened on the third day? Okay, so this is on the same day. You catching this? Okay, two men walking on the road. And out of everything Jesus could have done on that day, he chooses to reveal himself, but not yet necessarily because they didn't know it was him. But he meets two disciples, one of which is not even named in the Bible. It's like one of those moments where it's like he could have done a lot of things. Like, why didn't you, you know, these days it would have been like, why didn't you live stream this moment? You know, why wasn't this all over TikTok? You know, Jesus is here. And this was happening among the disciples, but he chooses to appear to two. Isn't that cool? Do you know that he wants to reveal himself to you, to the one? And hoping, it says that they were hoping. What does that imply? It implies that the sorrow of the moment of his death had prompted a feeling of hope being lost. In this moment, when Jesus was, when he died and he was in the tomb, there was a feeling of hope being lost. And so this was the day of his resurrection. And so Jesus, I don't think, wouldn't have looked exactly the same. And one reason he wouldn't look exactly the same as he went into the tomb is because what wasn't there anymore? The linen wrappings. Right? He went into the tomb with linen wrappings. He went out of the tomb without linen wrappings. He didn't have the grave clothes on any longer. He probably, and this is me, uh, this is not scripture, but he probably even had a glow about him, right? I mean, I picture this moment like he's got an extra glow about him. Like a heavenly glow, okay? 
Not because he was any more God than he was previously, but because he had just risen. And so what if one reason they didn't recognize him could actually have been that maybe he didn't look exactly like what they thought he was going to look like? And then verse 28, sorry, verse 22. But also some woman among us left us bewildered. So this is their telling Jesus. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And so some of those who were with us went to the tomb. Now, I want you to read verse 24. And some of those who were with us, does that imply that they went? No. Some of those who were with us went. And found it just exactly as the woman had also said. But him they did not see. And then he said to them, you foolish men. (laughs) And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? Verse 27. Then beginning with Moses. Genesis. And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself. In the scriptures. Jesus is explaining the scriptures about himself to them. How powerful is that? Verse 28. You guys can walk a little bit up here. And they approached the village where they were going. And he gave the impression that he was going to go farther. And so they strongly urged him. Saying, stay with us. For it is getting toward evening, and the day is now. <laughs> and the day is now nearly over. You guys need need acting lessons, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do that later. So he went in to stay with them, <laughs> and so Jesus goes in to stay with them. And so now, if I could have my help bring the table up, and while they're doing that, we're going to have another testimony. So if I could have Carol, Carol Martinez, come on. Okay, hello. I'm just going to share, uh, one of our first songs this morning was saying that Jesus is enough. And I'm going to share that moment when I truly experienced that Jesus was enough. Now, I had been a Christian for a long time. I was in full-time Christian ministry. And just a few months before, I had had a very powerful experience in the Holy Spirit right here at a James Robinson Bible conference. However, even in the midst of that, I was going through a crisis in my life. And I thought that when I was filled with the Holy Spirit that I'd come home and everything would be just perfect But things weren't perfect, and things started getting worse and worse. And I was doing all the right Christian things, you know. I mean, besides doing practical things, obviously, I had prayer warriors. I was doing spiritual warfare. I was praying. I was pleading. I, uh, you know, I, and one of the main things I was doing was that I was decreeing the word. I had recently learned about the power of the word, and I had all these scriptures, and I mean, I would decree those words day and night, day and night, and literally to the point that I said, God, you have to do this for me. You are the promise keeper, and you dare not not do this thing that you have promised, because that's what your word promises. 
But that is what had happened to me, that I had reduced Jesus to the promise keeper. I had reduced Jesus to the one who that the only way, even though I was filled with the Spirit, even though I had Christ in my life, I had reduced him to one who could only make me feel fully fulfilled if he did for me that which I needed. But things were getting worse. And so one day I was very angry with God. And I ran up to my bedroom and I just bowed on my bed. And right in front of the bed was my Bible right on top of the bed. The, the bed. Yeah. And so I grabbed the Bible and I just flung it against the bed. And I said, God, what good is your word if its promises work for everybody else but me? And at that moment, suddenly I heard a voice. I didn't hear it here. But it was crystal clear and beautiful in my heart. And God said, Carol, if things never work out the way you're asking me to, will you be able to love me wholeheartedly anyway? And at that moment, he did not give me the grace to give the right answer. Instead, out of gut level to my own shock, I said, no, God. And at that moment, he spoke again. And he said, okay, Carol, I was just asking. But at that moment, I felt such an amazing, all-encompassing love. I felt the unconditional love. I know my parents had loved me unconditionally. But, you know, I experienced other types of rejection throughout my life. And for the first time, I felt such an amazing, beautiful, warm love. And I said, but God, I want to learn how to love you no matter what. I want to know what it is like to love you with nothing between you and me. Nothing keeping me the flow of how I need to love you. Now, I'm going to be quite honest. At that immediate moment, I didn't feel like, ah, I did it. Actually, for the next couple of days, I was in shock. And I said, oh, did I just leave God off the hook? I literally felt that. But because I opened my heart to him and I said, I'm ready to trust your love. I'm ready to believe that you can fill me no matter what. I'm ready to believe that you can be my all in all. You can be my portion. You can be my everything. He began to captivate me with the love I had never experienced. He already loved me that way, but I had not opened my heart to receive it that way. And suddenly I just began to be feeling waves and waves and waves of love. I began to experience him as my portion. I began to really truly see that he was my counselor, that he was my friend, that he was my provider, that he truly was my all in all, that he was my enough. And I can say, he was not asking me to let go of my hope, but he was trying, wanted me to know, I am your hope. I am your portion. I am your everything. And I can say that as I grew in that, he opened to me a dimension of walking in him like I never imagined. And I can say that since that experience, life wasn't easy, and I'll be quite honest, my petition, exactly how I asked for it, did not come. But he gave me such an amazing adventure in him 
things I never imagined, things my limited, you have to do this, would have never measured with it. And I can say that since that day, it was a watershed moment. It happened many years ago, but it was a watershed moment in my life. And I can say ever since then that, yes, I truly serve a victorious Jesus because he conquered death, even death of apparent dreams in that time. And he has given me a hope and a life that sustains me from day to day and leaves me expectant every day of the glory and the greatness in all that he gives me in him. Amen. Come on. So good. That's so good. Wow, we've, we've gone to new levels here, haven't we? Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, I, I apologize. You guys are great actors. Really, you're doing a great job. I love you guys. You're doing a great job. All right, verse 30. Let's continue. Verse 30, Luke 24. And it came about when he had reclined at the table with them. That he took the bread... We actually have bread. This is great. And he broke it. And he began giving it to them. And then verse 31. And then it says their eyes were opened... And they recognized him. And then it says, and he vanished from their sight. So then Jesus gets up from the table. He's out. Yep. And they said to one another. Oh, man. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us? When he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to, to, to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen. And has appeared to Simon. Verse 35, they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them at the breaking of the bread. you guys come back for a second? Yeah. I want to bring them back for a second because I just want to illustrate something. Victory came to their table. Victory. He sat down at their table and broke bread with them. I love the fact that Jesus went to their table. Jesus didn't, he didn't say, come to my table. Jesus went to their table and broke bread with them and they didn't know it just yet because their eyes wouldn't open so they, they didn't know it just yet but what they had just done was they had just invited victory to the table they had just invited the victorious risen Jesus to break bread with them at their table 
And so I can imagine to just a day prior, these guys might have sat at this table. Maybe what they felt was despair. Right? He's still in the tomb. Maybe what they felt was was actually hopelessness. Hopeless. It actually says that in here. It says that they were hoping. And then the moment happens and they're like, oh no. We're losing hope. I'd imagine that they might have spent time the last couple of days at this table in a place of sorrow, right? Their Savior, Jesus, had died. They might have even been thinking to themselves, what, maybe it was like death, right? Maybe they were processing death at the table, like we all do many times. We have to process hard things in life, yes. And I pictured that they might have sat at this table before the third day, and they were processing all of these emotions together at their table. They were like, oh, has hope been lost? Our, our Savior Jesus is in a tomb? We're hope. We're feeling hopeless. What's going on? And there's all these emotions because they're real people. There's emotions happening. And then Wesley, can you come back up? But what happened? What happened when Jesus sits at their table? Let's get some new signs. So Jesus sits at their table, and what they didn't realize is what they just invited to their table is victory. What they may not have realized, what they just invited to their table in the midst of one of the, probably the hardest season they've ever gone through, they just invited life to their table, not death. In the midst of hopelessness and sorrow, what they didn't realize until they broke bread was that they just invited hope to their table. So I want you to see they probably processed all these emotions at the table, but then Jesus comes to sit at their table. He breaks bread with them. Their eyes are opened, and all of a sudden they have this aha moment. Our hearts were burning within us while we were on the road. Our hearts that were struggling. David in Psalm 50 says, in the day of trouble. I guarantee you, they were in a day of trouble previously. A day of trouble. A day that they didn't know what the outcome was going to be. They, they thought death was the outcome. And yet he comes And the minute he breaks bread, their eyes are open. And you can imagine what the response is. The resurrected Lord is sitting at my table. Therefore, my table that once might have held tears, 
in a moment of grieving, a moment of sorrow, a moment of hopelessness. Now it's the I am the way, the truth, and the life sitting at their table. This is what it means when I say victory sat at their table. Jesus changed their perspective on everything the moment that he broke that bread. The reality of what they once knew, completely different. The emotion, their heart, their mind, whoa, wonder, awe. Hopelessness was gone. The despair was gone. The feeling of death that might have overshadowed their mind and heart was eliminated in that moment. Religion was destroyed because he was alive and he sat down at their table, which communicated intimacy, relationship, and victory. All right, you guys can get up. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Listen, this morning, religion wants to keep him in the tomb. The enemy wants us focused on dead works instead of consumed with life in Jesus. He wants to create a dead, powerless Jesus that isn't big enough to handle everything and anything in your life. Religion wants to keep you in the grave while Jesus wants to see yourself through the fact that he's alive. That's the essence of victory. You are fully his. You belong to Jesus, so you don't have to see your life through the lens of hopelessness because he didn't stay in the grave. I'm convinced, I said this earlier, that these men might have recognized Jesus had he still had the linen wrappings on, right? It would have been obvious, right? This is somebody that just came out of a grave. He's still wearing the linen wrappings. He still has the grave clothes on. But the linen wrappings were in the tomb, and Jesus wasn't. And I think sometimes we get so comfortable in grave clothes. I know I do sometimes. I get comfortable in situations, things hurt, pain, trauma, and I end up associating my life through the filter of grave clothes instead of looking through the eyes of hope found in a victorious Savior. And what I love, guys, what I love is the scars stay. He still had the scars. He still had the nail-pierced hands. His side that was pierced, he still would have had the wounds. He still has the wounds. And so there's this reality of when you walk through a difficult season and you walk through it, you have scars, but the scars They don't necessarily define you. They remind you of how he brought you through. The scars actually for Jesus was a sign of victory. Because he was not in the grave. Therefore, they scarred over. And now what it is, it's a representation of what he did for you. Your scars are a representation of what Jesus has done for you. But listen... 
He didn't lose the scars, but he did lose the grave clothes. There's a big difference between scars and grave clothes. Scars allow us to see that he got us through. Grave clothes keep us in the tomb. Grave clothes focus you on everything that you haven't seen. Grave clothes focus you on everything that you haven't experienced. This morning, I believe for some, this Resurrection Sunday, it's time to take off the grave clothes. Embrace the scars of the history of walking through it, but allow the victorious Jesus to pull you out of the tomb. To show you your testimony and to reveal the fact that you are raised with him. And because of that, there is hope. If you let the grave clothes define you, then you will see life through the filter of the linen wrappings instead of the empty tomb. Sometimes we attempt to live from the old man. We attempt to live with the disappointment, the regret, the accusation, the shame, the condemnation, the addiction, etc. And the enemy actually has us convinced that it's just something we have to find a way to live with because he wants you to live with the linen wrappings on. He wants you to live with grave clothes on. And he's scared silly that you might actually walk out of that tomb. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55 says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The temptation when things get hard is to allow the sting of death to overshadow the hope that is with us through Jesus. I'm not saying things aren't hard. I've walked through a lot of hard seasons. I've grieved. You need to grieve. You need to walk through it. It's okay. But you stay in the room with Jesus. You stay there. We live in a fallen world. Things happen. They won't always go our way. I wish I could say that everything in your life right now leaving this room was going to be peachy. Unfortunately, that's not the world we live in, but we serve a victorious Savior that gets you through anything that you might be facing, and as Paul says in Titus, he is the blessed hope. Here's what I am saying, though. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He didn't stay there, and neither should we. Eventually, the grave clothes have to come off. I want to read a quote from my brother David, a fantastic writer. And he wrote this, Easter approaches, and one of the underrated messages of Easter is that tombs are made to be visited, not lived in. Stones are made to be rolled away. But for whatever absurd reason, we often push with all our might against the very angels tasked with rolling them away. We strut about in our grave clothes, thoroughly convinced that we are rocking the latest fashion trend. Like the demonized man in Mark 5, we wander night and day among the tombs, brooding upon the wounds inflicted upon us in the dark days of winter and despairing over the wounds we have inflicted upon those we love most. 
I'm warning you. When you hear a voice say, come forth, you may just lose your capacity to stay dead. <laughs> to stay disillusioned. To stay jaded. You may just find yourself walking out of those murky, sephirical depths, still reeking with the stench of broken dreams, dressed up in the tattered rags of unmet expectations and unanswered prayers, unsure of nearly everything other than the fact that you were dead, but now you are alive. We cannot hold on to things in our heart that actually keep us more focused on dead things more than life found in Jesus. It's time for some of us to stop identifying with that thing and to start identifying with life. It's time to stop feeling stuck in the grave and time to realize that your life didn't just die with him, but it was raised with him. Victory this morning is at your table. The two men on the road to Emmaus, when they sat down with him, we already went through this, right? The emotions that they would have felt. But they didn't recognize him until they invited victory to their table. Listen, other religions, we meet on in this building, we're meeting in this time, celebrating a resurrected Savior. Do you know that other religions worship dead men? There's a lot of people that aren't here in this room, and they're worshiping dead men. And their God isn't even alive. He didn't raise from the dead. He's not real. And yet we get the opportunity to gather in this room to worship and to stand here and say, he's alive. I believe that today Jesus wants our eyes open to the fact that victory is at our table when you sit at your table and jesus is within you victory is seated at your table hope is seated at your table life is seated at your table i want to invite shannon to give the last testimony here and then we're going to land the plane this morning we welcome shannon thank you andrew Congratulations on that beautiful baby boy. Happy Easter Sunday. It is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday every single day. Jesus is alive every single day. Consider this. How valuable is your soul that the creator of heaven and earth and the enemy of your soul, Satan, they're both after it. They're both trying to get your soul. But Jesus is victorious. Jesus rose from the grave and overcame death and paid for all of our sins. I'm like Dave. It, it's kind of hard to summarize a whole lifetime in two or three minutes what Jesus did for me. I had the opportunity to go to college, and after college, I, I had the honor to serve in the U.S. Navy the second most powerful force on this planet. After, after the Navy, I met this beautiful girl named Jane from New Jersey. 
and, I, and life was good. You know, in, in college, have a few beers with friends, play ball game, have a few beers. In the Navy, we'd go into port and have a few beers. And it was all very innocent. Like Alyssa said, it was all very innocent. Satan isn't going to come up and say, here, come have death and destruction and decay. No, Satan offers you something, and, and it's deceptive. And so I drank, and, and, I have, and I always worked, and have beers with the guys at work. And, and then all of a sudden, it went from being fun to I was drinking every day. I was no longer in control. I had no power. I was drinking every day. It was miserable. I almost lost my wife. Jane and I were separated. I, I had made a mess of everything. We had two small children. She couldn't take it anymore. The lies and the anger and, the, and the, you know, when you're an alcoholic, it will make you go places you don't want to go. It'll make you stay there longer than you want to stay. It'll make you spend more money than you want to spend. And I do, here's what it's like being an alcoholic. When you wake up in the morning, your first thought is, when am I going to get my first drink? Your life becomes revolved around, when am I going to get my first drink? And you plan your day around when you can have a drink. There was a point in time I was getting up in the morning. I hit a bottle of vodka in the garage. I'd get up at 5. I got up at 5 o'clock every morning. I'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, go out to the garage, get a bottle, take a couple drinks, and I'd be okay. I was in bondage. I was in chains. And it was terrible. And then the lover of my soul, the risen Christ, reached down and pulled me out of the pit. And he set me on solid ground and he healed me. Did you hear what I said? Come Jesus on. of Nazareth healed me. I was broken. I was dead. I was crushed. And Jesus healed me. My healing started. My healing was instantaneous, just like that. No 12-step, no AA, no rehab. Jesus just took it away. Come on. And it was gone. Come on. I, I get up in the morning, no desire to drink. No withdrawal. And then Jesus did something even more wonderful. He restored my marriage. Come on. He restored relationships. He gave me favor and promotion and promotion. The same company that had fired me two years before because I didn't show up for work, because I was drinking, the same company said, come back, we'd like to talk to you. I don't, I'm not interested in talking to you. And they said, come back, we want to talk to you. So I went to lunch with a guy, and he said, I want you to come back. He said, I'm not interested. He goes, he goes, no, I don't want you to come back as a salesman. I want you to come back as the general manager. I want you to be the boss of 65 people. That's faith. The same guy they kicked it to the curb two years ago brought me back and said, I want you to be the boss. That just doesn't happen. That's favor. That's favor. So now I wake up in the morning, and my first thought is, I'm free. Come on. I'm free. I'm yes. free. I'm yes. free. I'm free. Every single day, I'm free. It all started at the cross. And the cross is bookended 
by two meetings at the table. At the cross, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was crucified, said, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Right there on the cross is where Jesus bought my healing. By his broken body, he brought my healing. Before the cross, he broke bread at a table with his disciples. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. He told them, this is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. The U.S. Navy is the second most powerful force in the world. The blood of Jesus is the most powerful force in the whole universe. Come on. After the resurrection, Jesus broke bread with two of his disciples at a table. The word says, he sets a table before my enemies. Jesus isn't worried about fighting your enemies. Jesus is setting a table. He doesn't have to, Jesus is the lover of your soul. He doesn't have to fight for you. He's already, he's already won the victory. He already has the victory. And he, he wants to meet you at a table. He says, come to my table, look into my eyes, and take the victory that I have paid for for your soul. In this country, there are 45 million people that struggle with alcoholism. So I, besides myself and Dave and whoever else, I have to think that there are people in your family, someone you know that you're contending for, whether they're an alcoholic or a drug addict, whether they're depressed or, 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 or lonely or hopeless, there's somebody that you know that Jesus wants to heal. When I share my testimony, I'm saying, this is what Jesus did for me. He will do it for you. He will do it for your family. He will do it again. How many people here, how many people here can think of somebody right now that is struggling with addiction, depression, alcoholism? Wow. Look at that. The enemy of your soul is trying to win your loved ones. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the risen Savior, says, no, I have healing for them, I have hope for them, and I have life for them. Let me just pray for your loved ones. Let me just pray for the people that you care about, the people that you're contending for, because I don't believe Jesus heals people. I don't think Jesus people. Jesus, I don't think that Jesus heals people. I know that Jesus heals people. He healed me. I am living proof. And I'm not, I'm not, I know he'll heal your loved ones. Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name. And we thank you that you are a risen Savior. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. We thank you that every day in our life you are a resurrected Savior. And Lord, right now, my friends have loved ones that they are contending for. And I speak healing into their friends' lives, into their bodies, in Jesus' name. I speak healing into their minds, into their bodies. I say alcoholism will have no hold on them. I wake up and I say, I am free. The chains have fallen off. And I say the chains will fall off their loved ones. I say the chains will fall off. They'll no longer be in bondage. They will be healed in Jesus' name. They will be made well. They will be made whole. And they will sit at his table 
and dine with him because he loves us. In Jesus' name. at your seat you have a card the card says what is an area situation or circumstance that you need to see victory in right now I want you to take a moment you need to get your kids bring your kids back into the service I want you to take a moment and I want you to write down an area a situation or a circumstance that you need to see victory in right now I want you to write it on the card don't worry about writing your name just write, write that down. Just take a couple minutes. I could get some help just carrying this table down. Amazing. Write that down. For some, maybe you need to write down an area that maybe you're still wearing the linen wrappings. Maybe you're wearing grave clothes and you need to write that area down that you need to step out and you need to take off the grave clothes and step in to the life that is only found in Jesus. I really feel, even as we've had testimonies, that this morning, this isn't just a cute exercise. When you write something down, we're going to step into this, and I really believe that the Lord is going to reveal his victory in your life. He's going to break things off. He's going to release victory at your table. dead he's alive revelation 1 john says when i saw him i fell at his feet like a dead man and he placed his right hand on me saying do not be afraid i am the first and the last and the living one and i was dead and behold i am alive forevermore and i have the keys of death and hades he's alive forevermore he holds the keys. This morning, what I want to do, this isn't, I know this isn't just a normal Easter Sunday close, okay? I don't believe in just normal Easter Sunday. We're here to encounter a resurrected Jesus. We're not here just to sing about him. We're not here just to listen to me talk about him or others. We're here to encounter victory at the table. So here's what I want you to do. If you're done writing on the card, I want you to bring it up to the front. And I want you to stick it on this table. You can see we have strips of Velcro here. And on, on the back of the card, there's a little thing for you to stick it to the table. And as you do this, it's not that, the, that this particular table is significant. 
It's a statement that you're making. It's a declaration that you're making. I am stepping into the fact that victory is at the table. up with me. This morning we are declaring, we've been doing it all morning, Jesus is alive. So when you put, when, when we write something and we put it on this table, we're not pleading with a dead God that he can hopefully do something. We're placing a, we're making a statement that says the Jesus that I serve is alive, living, active. He's hope, he's victory, he's freedom. Galatians 5.1 says it was for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. So this morning, as we place this on the table, we are shedding the linen wrappings of the tomb we're shedding accusation, we're shedding shame, we're shedding condemnation, we're, we're shedding the voice of the enemy, and we're inviting victory to our table. We thank you, Jesus, for victory at the table this morning. And Lord, right now, I thank you for the testimonies that have been shared, Lord, for the freedom from alcoholism, freedom from pornography, freedom even from from struggling with sexual identity there's freedom this morning freedom in Jesus name and so Lord I thank you that now we are seeing ourselves not in the tomb we're seeing ourselves that we don't have to wear grave clothes we are raised with you seated in heavenly places and this morning I thank you Lord and right now we just step in by faith by faith and we thank you for victory and this morning I ask you Jesus that 
each and every card up here, each and every person in the room, Lord, I ask you, Jesus, that you would break chains, that you would bring healing, that you would bring breakthrough into circumstances, and we just, as a body, we declare victory. If if that's in your heart, just say victory. Victory! Thank you for the hope and the life that is found in you, Jesus. You are alive, and so you're desiring this morning to wake up hearts. Hearts that have felt numb, hearts that need victory this morning. I feel like the Lord is saying, I want you to see that I'm alive, and I'm living inside of you, and I desire to speak to your heart and to bring Life into dead hearts. Life into places of your life where you need it. So Lord, we just, we thank you that you are alive. And we just thank you for victory at the table this morning. I want to encourage you. You put something on this table. I want to encourage you to not have it just be a good exercise on a Sunday morning. I want you to go from this place. Oh, come on. Just like Mary did in John 20. We are placing down things that need to die. We are placing down old things and we are running from this room saying, I have seen the Lord. And I am going to stand in a place of hope and victory of what he has done and what he's doing. And so take it from here. And don't just let it be right here. Let it be the way that we live our life. We are going to live from a place of the fact that Jesus is victorious. Victory is at the table. Amen. joining us this morning. Listen, let's go forth from this place and let's live transformed. I really believe that. Can we do that? All right. We love you guys. Those watching online, so glad you're tuning in with us. We'll see you guys. We have a lot of events this week, actually, so we'll see you guys if you want to come to something this week or we have... uh, our Jesus night on Friday. Want to come and then Sunday morning, next Sunday, we'll see you 10 a.m. back here. We just bless you. We bless you to live victorious in Jesus' name. All right.